Amen. Thank you, Jennifer. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to that chapter in uh, Luke chapter 2, that is where we're going to be today. And while you're turning there, I realized there were a couple announcements that I forgot to mention. One is these beautiful flowers that are in front of us, many of you guys purchased and dedicated to loved ones. And so after the service today, Sue Ennis graciously reminded me, tell folks, take them home. So if you have one of these, grab the ones that have, I think they all have your names on them. So feel free to do that. And then also, um, as, as Ermal prayed, this month we've been uh, dedicating a mission offering toward the work that is going on in the Middle East. So if you want to partner with that, just write missions on a gift, or you can do that online and, and uh, put it on a gift and put it in the box in the back or do it online. And uh, we will uh, make sure that gets to where it needs to go. Um, so thinking about Christmas, let me just tell you a little bit of insight into our family. Because after all, Christmas is kind of like a birthday celebration, right? Danielle's family, when, when they were growing up, they used to always have a birthday cake on, whoops, on Christmas. How many of you guys do that? Anybody? Oh, a couple of you guys. Great. Um, my family didn't do that growing up. Her family did. And so Christmas Day became like a birthday celebration. But it got me thinking about um, birthdays in our house. You see, in, in the Gilbert house, we have this tradition that is kind of fun. On the birthday dinner, at, at, you know, sometime on the birthday of the one who is being celebrated, um, usually it's Danielle because she's a better storyteller than I am, but we will go through and recount all of the events leading up to the birth of the celebrant, if you will. So when we celebrate Zach's birthday on November 1st, we think back to the day and a half of sitting in the hospital waiting and waiting and waiting for him. He just, he was cozy and nice. He just didn't want to come out. Or then uh, with, with Melody, it was kind of an, an exciting day because I had been out of town and I flew back that afternoon, went straight from the airport to the hospital. Danielle was finally like, oh, finally, I could have this baby. And uh, so Melody came out like an hour or two later talking. And she was just very verbal right from the beginning. <laughs> And then with, with Zoe, the kind of funny, funny part was we had gone into the hospital that night around midnight, and we, we were misunderstanding what the doctor and the nurses were saying. We thought we were going home. We had a false alarm the day before, and um, we were, thought we were going home again. And the doctor said, no, you're having this baby tonight. So we're like, okay. So we go over, and, and then right about the time that Zoe was about to be born, all the, the nurses changed their shifts. And so here we were, the, baby's, the baby doesn't know, Zoe didn't know that the nurses weren't going to be there. I was afraid I was going to be like the nurse. And I know nothing about this. I've watched two kids be born and I can't do anything. So anyways, that was quite exciting. So we would go back and just sort of retell and relive all of those adventures leading up to the, the birth of our kids. But when you think about it, Christmas is kind of like that. It's a rare glimpse that we get into the birth of a very specific child. Because if you think about it, for most of us, unless we're really close to, married to, a sibling of, an aunt and uncle of, we really don't get very many details about the birth of children. We might get the announcement. Nowadays, we see it on Facebook, and then they do the whole gender reveal thing and, you know, all the blue and pink smoke or whatever it is. And then there's the birth announcement, and then, hey, there it is. That's all we get. And yet, with the, with the birth of Jesus Christ, we get this look into 
how, how all this came about. And we get to see that most clearly in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. And if you think about it, they give us two beautiful and yet equally, two different but equally beautiful accounts of the birth of Jesus. Luke seems to focus on Mary and the shepherds where Matthew focuses on Joseph's point of view and the magi or the wise men. Luke tells us a bit about Jesus' presentation in the temple and some sparse details about his boyhood years. In fact, we learn more about Jesus' childhood from Luke than anywhere else in Scripture. Matthew talks about King Herod's vicious response to the birth of Jesus and the dreams that prompted Joseph to take his young family to Egypt and then back to Nazareth. But as we read through the birth narratives, there are two separate times that the book of Luke, or that Luke records, something that I found kind of interesting. And it was the very last thing that Jennifer read. If you have your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 2, verse 19. In chapter 2, verse 19, Luke records that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then again, if you glance over at chapter 2, verse 51, in the second half of that verse, we see that again. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And so this morning, I'd like for us to consider really the first of these treasuring verses. And, and really let this guide the remainder of our time together. Because if you think about it, Luke tells us that Mary treasured all of these things. Well, what does it mean to treasure? And, and you know, you might think, well, it's no big deal. We treasure certain things. We, we give value to some things, right? Well, in, in the Greek, that, that word treasured meant to protect or to keep safe or to preserve, not to let it go. So when we, you know, in our lives, we might, when we treasure something, we would express value. And Mary, you see, for her, she just didn't experience the birth of Jesus. She treasured it because it was unique among so many things. She reflected on all of the events. And yet I wonder how often in our lives do we just race from event to event and never looking and paying attention to what God is doing in those things. Treasuring, I think, takes time. And I don't know, you know, we don't get a whole lot of insight into exactly how the, the gospel writers came to their, came, you know, how the Holy Spirit inspired them to do what they did and the process they got to actually writing it down. But I can imagine that Luke, we, we get information that Luke had a lot of interviews. And I can imagine he sat down at some point with Mary and said, Mary, tell me the story. Help me remember. Help me understand what happened. And so even, even if it's been a couple of decades since the birth of Jesus, Mary was, it was fresh in her mind, all the details that the Holy Spirit was inspiring, inspiring her to share with Luke. But when you think about this, not only was she treasuring some things, but Luke tells us she was treasuring all of these things. In fact, the first time that Luke records this treasuring is right after the shepherd's visit. And it could be that she simply paid attention to the peculiar details of their visit. I mean, imagine, here you are, you have this baby, it's not a great cradle, he's in a feeding trough, and now all these strange men, most likely strange dirty men, come and see you at the stall. 
Have you ever, you know, when you go to the hospital and visit a baby, they want you to get all lathered up with soap or hand sanitizer or whatever so that you don't get any germs on this child. Well, Jesus' cradle was not exactly the most sanitary place in the world. And now these first visitors are these people. But let's think about a few things. Let's just get back into Mary's mind, what she might have treasured. I mean, think first of all about the things that happened before his birth. I mean, here's this young woman who's engaged to Joseph. She's looking forward to being a wife and hopefully one day being a, husband, being a mother and in that order, being a wife first and then a, a mother. And then all of a sudden she has this visit from an angel. And we see that in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 where the angel Gabriel came to her and said, You've been fa- you, God has found favor with you. Blessed are you among women. You're going to have a child. And she's thinking, how's this going to be? I'm not even married yet. And that's when the angel said, Your child will be the son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, and the Son of God. I think Mary treasured that. Imagine being Joseph, that moment where he was thinking, oh, no, 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 my wife has been unfaithful. Even though I know she said this is of the Holy Spirit, or my fiance, rather, has been unfaithful. I know she said this is of the Holy Spirit, but no, 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 this is not the marriage. This is not the life that I was expecting. So I'll respectfully divorce her. And so the angel steps into one of his dreams and says, Joseph, it's okay. This is truly of God. Your fiance is telling the truth. And then you have that journey to Bethlehem. And then you have the details of his birth. And it's interesting that in Luke's account, in Luke 2, 6 and 7, this is all the details we get about his birth. And while they were there in Jerusalem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. We get all the details going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, some details there. We get two verses on his birth and then a lot of information about all the things around there. And then, of course, as I mentioned, these first visitors are these shepherds. You see, in in first century society, shepherds were kind of low on the scale of importance. These guys spent a great deal of time outside. They were likely dirty most of the time. They smelled like whatever was outside. They smelled like their sheep. And yet these were the very first people. I mean, mean, who, when you made your, those of you guys who made birth announcements that you had to mail, do you remember those? You know, there's a thing we put a stamp on and throw it in the mail. When you had to, when you made a birth announcement about your kids, who were the first people that you told? Maybe it was the grandparents or maybe it was your siblings. and, And then you sent it out to 40 or 50 of your most important people. Now you can just do it on social media and, and the whole world knows instantly. But think about this, the the birth announcement that God gave to the world came to these shepherds. And I think that's one of the things that Mary was treasuring, the fact that here it's not important people, it wasn't religious people, it wasn't high-value people, it was common people, it was lowly people. These are the first ones that God chose to announce the birth of his son. 
And while society at that time might not have valued shepherds, God did. And I think it's because God has a shepherd's heart. He cares for his people as a shepherd cares for his flock. Jacob um, saw God as his shepherd in Genesis 48, 15, when he was blessing Joseph. He said, God, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Isaiah prophesied about the shepherding activity of God in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 to 11. He says, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. And he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs into his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. And as you guys know famously, The psalmist called God his shepherd in in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. I don't know if this is all of what Mary was treasuring, but she certainly paid attention to who God invited and how they responded. You see, the news of of the birth of royalty is typically proclaimed first among nobility, among the most important people. And yet here, the God of the universe in his incarnation gets a birth announcement to lowly shepherds. And the angels declared it would be good news of great joy, which will be for all people. But then there, I think there's something else that Mary treasured because shortly after this, Jesus is presented in the temple. You know, after the birth of a child, eight days later, they were supposed to go and be presented and various things were supposed to happen. And I'll spare you the details of that. But one of the things that would happen is they would go and present an offering. And in the book of Leviticus, the firstborn child was to be presented in the temple with a lamb as an offering. And in Leviticus, it says, unless you're too poor to afford a lamb, you can give two birds either turtle doves or pigeons. And it tells us in in Luke chapter 2, Luke tells us that, that Mary and Joseph gave a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons for Jesus. And imagine what it would have been like for Mary to sit down with Luke and say, oh, Luke, you know, back then we were so poor, we couldn't even give a proper offering. I mean, think about this. The God of the universe who's now in human flesh cannot, his his earthly parents can't even afford to give a real offering. So they gave what they could when they presented him at the temple. Talk about a humble beginning. And then while they're there, they encounter these two elderly people. One guy is named Simeon. Simeon, if you look in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25, he says some of the most bizarre things. He says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Wow, what a thing for God to reveal to this man, Simeon. I'm going to see the Messiah. I'm going to see the anointed. I'm going to see this guy before I die. And now I'm sure he's advancing in years thinking, when in the world is this going to be? But listen to what he says in verse 27 of Luke chapter 2. And it came, 
and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when, he, when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And then verse 33, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, imagine this. Imagine hearing this. You're a firstborn child, and here's what this strange man says. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and a sign and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Wow, that's not exactly the greatest blessing you would want to hear, but man, this child is going to do some amazing things. And then right after that, this other lady who'd been coming in the temple for 70 plus years, Anna, she rejoiced that she got to see this child. And then Mary, she doesn't reflect very much, but it's in Luke's account that we get this instance where about 12 years old, Jesus was in the temple and his parents leave him and they, this, that whole messed up thing, and we could talk about that. We had a, an encounter where we lost one of our kids in Disneyland for 90 minutes, and that was terrifying. Imagine losing your child in Jerusalem for three days. But Luke records that not only did Mary treasure these things, but she held on to them by pondering them in her heart. Look, look back at Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them, pondering them in her heart. Now, now, if you think about it, they didn't have paper or papyrus quite as readily available as we do. We, they couldn't just go to Barnes & Noble and buy the, the latest notebook or buy the latest journal or, or moleskin or whatever is the popular thing now. And they certainly didn't have electronic devices where they could record all their thoughts. And so it was left up to her to remember these things. But that word pondering is kind of interesting because in the Greek, it only shows up six times in the New Testament. And it's only translated pondering once. All of the other times, listen to what it, 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 it's translated as converse, conferred, encounter, helped, and met. Which what is, what is involved for all of those things to happen? You need to have more than one person. It's very difficult to converse with yourself. And people might look at you and say you're being a little crazy. But when people would meet together, when they would encounter one another, when they would help one another, when they would meet, there's more things going on. So here's Mary pondering, meeting, conversing with herself. She's reflecting on all these things. She's using what she could. So what? I think we have all these things recorded because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I think we also have these things because Mary treasured or kept these events and encounters. She valued them. And I believe that we would do well to follow her example, that we need to treasure the mysterious ways that God works in our lives. 
We need to treasure those encounters. We need to treasure those comments. We need to treasure the people that God allows in our lives. Pay attention to those conversations. Reflect on the patterns. Contemplate on the people that God is using. And in doing so, slow down a bit. Talk to yourself. Ponder in your heart. Maybe silently, maybe out loud. Write down the things that God is doing, the ways that he is working. And pray that God would give you eyes to see and a mind to understand how he is working. Because when you look at the mysterious ways that the birth of Jesus came about, yes, he is a very unique child and he came to do some wonderful things, but he came in ways and and God brought him into the world in ways that nobody would have expected. And Mary paid attention to all that God was doing in her, around her, through her son, through God's son. But I want to encourage us, too, if if you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you're wondering what all this fuss is about, about a baby who was born 2,200 years ago or 2,020 years ago, roughly, take time to ponder why God would take on human flesh, why he would go through all the trouble that he did to come into the world the way he did. He did that so that you and I could be made right with him. As we discussed last night, Jesus came into the world to die. To pay for your sins and mine, and then he rose victoriously. And I think the best way that you and I can treasure what God did is by believing, by repenting of our sin, by trusting in him. I pray that you will receive, if you've not yet done so, receive the free gift of eternal life that comes only through Jesus Christ, through his birth, through his life, through his death on a cross, through his burial, through his resurrection, and now through his ascension. He came so that you and I might have life. I pray that we might take time this afternoon to think about that, to ponder that, to treasure that as God works in our midst. Let's pray. God, 